This is a diet of Brussels. Why are we stuck? I could have given this uh, episode at pretty much any point in the past couple of years uh, because throughout the, the whole of the Brexit process, it's been clear that there is a real blockage in the UK. Uh, that there is profound uncertainty about what to do next and uh, no uh, real sense about how to proceed. But it's just become very obvious to everybody in the last uh, months that that blockage is a a very real uh, and persistent problem. That really since November, I think we could say, when we had uh, the uh, signing, or not the actual signing, but the uh, agreement on the withdrawal agreements and the political declaration, that the UK has not been happy about that, but hasn't known what to do, even though the options have been clear, namely to accept the deal uh, and to leave with the withdrawal agreements, to leave without uh, the withdrawal agreements and have a no-deal Brexit, or thirdly, to not leave at all uh, and to go down the route of revocation. Now, those three options have been clear from the beginning of the process, from before the beginning of the process. It was always evident that those were going to be the options. Uh, So why is it that now, four, five months later, we still don't actually know what we're going to do and why are we not even really talking about it? And, you know, I think it's worth stressing that uh, after that second extension, the earlier part of April, that uh, everyone just went on holiday uh, because everyone was uh, quite understandably sick and tired of it all. Now, all of that is uh, really uh, a prelude to saying, well, there's some problem here that we haven't addressed uh, and possibly aren't trying to address. So what I want to try and do in this episode is just talk through a number of uh, ideas uh, around this. But the core argument that I want to, to make is that the UK is blocked because it doesn't have a consensus about why Brexit should happen or what it should mean. And because of that, uh, all of the other problems follow through and really make it very difficult to uh, make any real progress. So let's start then with the the opening point, uh, which is this idea of uh, the UK lacking an idea of what Brexit is for. Now, the obvious thing that you're probably saying at this stage is, well, I know what Brexit is for. Uh, I know what it's all about. It's about X. Uh, and this is uh, maybe the first uh, real... Uh, step in this argument, which is that there are lots of ideas about uh, different kinds of Brexits, different logics, different rationales. But what there isn't is a consensus around those uh, particular things, that instead there is uh, only uh, a sense that there is competition for the logic of this uh, entire process. 
all of that uh, is perhaps quite evident, but it's worth just exploring a little bit uh, more uh, to think about how that might uh, actually play out. When we had the referendum, we had two campaigns that were pursuing uh, a mixed strategy. On the one hand, they had all of the campaigners' interests, their purposes, their agendas, their programmes, but what they also had was a narrow project which was to win the vote for them as uh, that was the gateway to their plans. Now, uh, that's why you saw the very strange bedfellows on both leave and remain sides, people who normally wouldn't pass the time of day with one another suddenly saying, well, I agree heartily with X because uh, both of us want the same outcome of this referendum. Now, with that in mind, uh, you end up with a situation where you create uh, two campaigns that have the same logic, one on each side. Namely, that you tell people whatever it is that they want to hear so that they vote the way you want. Because when it comes to the outcome, if you win, then all those people don't actually get to to shape what comes after. Instead, you'll be in the uh, driving seat to shape uh, and own the agenda, and you'll take it forward. So I want your vote, but I don't actually really care why you've given me it, because all that matters is uh, is the way in which I instrumentalise the outcome to serve my political uh, agenda, whatever that might be. Now, uh, again, uh, the point is, is clear, that that works on both sides of the campaign, and I think we would have had many of the same problems uh, if we'd had a vote to remain in terms of a lack of clarity about what the UK's relationship with the EU should be. Why are we staying? What are we aiming for? What's our project? What's our plan? Yes, we had the renegotiation package that David Cameron uh, had uh, worked on with other EU leaders, but that in itself was not really a solution to anything. It was uh, uh, a means to an end. So when we get to the 24th of June 2016, what we end up with is, first of all, the shock of the results, the unanticipated results. People aren't ready, there aren't the plans, there isn't a, a, a mechanism that kicks into effect. Uh, the Prime Minister resigns. Uh, but what you also lack is uh, a plan or a mechanism to bring those who have uh, won the vote the levers into a position of responsabilization. You've uh, broken it, you own it, if you like. Instead, what you do is say, here is an open field. And what you saw in the first six months after the referendum was an awful lot of people saying, well, of course, the British people voted to leave because of X. And X was always uh, the thing that I'm interested in. Oh, well, people uh, ultimately didn't like bendy bananas. That's great because as uh, a, uh, an importer of straight bananas, I'm going to do very well. Um, things like that. So what we have here is a, an odd uh, situation where we have a, a lot of competing ideas that that coalition that the Remainers have put together falls apart in terms of what the objectives are, what's the logic that we're applying. 
And uh, because there's no requirements to be held to what you've said in the campaign, that's not really any guide. There's no definitive document that spells out what uh, leaving uh, would look like and what it meant in terms of a bigger project politically uh, for the UK. And so we have this big tussle that emerges. Now, in that period, we perhaps have the best opportunity for someone to come and uh, impose a consensus to say, well, we've got the levers of power and we are able to articulate and defend a view that is uh, going to uh, stick. And the person who was best positioned to do that was whoever won the leadership contest of the Conservative Party, namely Theresa May. However, what we see is that whilst she is able to win power as leader or win the office of leader, the power that comes with that is rather conditional. She has a relatively small majority in 2016. She has a lot of different uh, groups within her party she wants to keep on board. And, you know, it's clear that she has a very strong priority of party uh, unity on this. And the, the suspicions that she is uh, a Remainer turncoat and not completely to be trusted is one that causes her endless problems. Now, with that in mind, what we end up with is... Uh, an effort to try and create a policy that will that will try and keep everyone happy, and uh, in that uh, she largely succeeds in making everyone equally happy, which is to say, not really making anyone very happy at all. The, the policy that emerges in uh, Lancaster House. Uh, and in other speeches uh, around the end of 2016 is really driven by uh, a need to show uh, movement uh, on the issues by uh, number 10, uh, a need to show that there is some substance to Brexit um, and uh, the concern about uh, uncontrolled immigration is one that Theresa May takes very seriously which she um, then translates into ending free movement, which requires her then to step out of the single market uh, and the customs union because uh, being able to write your own trade deals sounds like a good headline uh, and the kind of thing that Tories should be uh, going for. Now, having done that, she discovers that that is neither enough for those who want something harder uh, and far too much for those who want something softer. But the real problem comes uh, for her when, having uh, pushed herself into submitting her notification letter in March 2017, she then calls a general election. And the reason that's a problem is because by compromising her position so fundamentally as she did by missing the open goal of uh, massively increasing her majority, uh, that her weakness as a communicator and as a campaigner matched only by the strength of Jeremy Corbyn uh, in those same uh, capacities, really meant that the last best chance for a consensus to emerge disappeared. 
that we ended up with a new government, a new parliament in uh, June 2017 that didn't have uh, a single party majority, that relied on the support of a party with uh, a very particular set of interests that directly compromised the ability of the government to negotiate uh, an agreement with the EU. It meant you had a, a leader in power who was obviously in difficulty, but who nobody wanted to replace because nobody wanted to take over the difficulty. So the ultimate situation that we end up with from that early phase of uh, Article 50 and the point that we start the substantive negotiations is a political system here in the UK where we have nobody who is strong enough to impose themselves on uh, anyone else. That There are lots of ideas floating around, there are lots of people who've got threats that they feel they can make. If you don't go with me and my point of view, then you will suffer. Balanced out by everyone else, you can say exactly the same thing. And because everyone looks weak in this, uh, everyone else thinks, well, why should I be the one to give way? Because uh, everyone else is in a poor position, so surely they should be the ones to concede ground. Now, that creates a, a blockage in the system, that everyone's waiting on everyone else to uh, come round to my way of thinking, uh, and nobody being willing to make the first step. And nobody in a position to be able to override all of these different factions because everyone turns out to be sufficiently important and necessary in uh, the functioning of the political system that they can't be uh, ignored. So this root problem continues to today, that we have a government that still doesn't have uh, a single uh, party majority, that even if it did, uh, would have deep divisions uh, within its ranks. And um, if you then had a look at the balance of power within Parliament between different factions across parties, you see that none of them have uh, a majority either. In fact, the only thing that there is uh, a majority for is the one thing that... Uh, is uh, different from everything else, namely uh, a majority against leaving with no deal. And the reason that's different is precisely that uh, leaving with no deal, as you all well know, is uh, the default outcome, that you will leave with no deal unless you do one of the other things, namely leave with a deal or not leave at all, uh, or find an extension, uh, which has tended to be the the response that that's the least problematic uh, option uh, right now. So this uh, blockage has been there ever since 2017. It continues to today. Now, all of this really is to, to suggest that, well, if that's the problem, then that suggests there is a solution, which is that you can create a new consensus that will determine what should happen and why it should happen, which will then allow people to move forward, to make a decision, say, well, look, here's a robust uh, consensus uh, in support of this uh, that we can uh, push forward on. So how might you go about that? Well, a number of different ways. 
let's start with one that uh, involves the EU itself. Clearly, one of the problems in uh, this situation at the moment is the withdrawal agreement. The terms are unacceptable to many members of parliament. So surely one of the options is to change what the uh, deal says. Okay, well, uh, fine. That invites the question, how should we change it? And that immediately brings us back to, well, the UK doesn't know. It knows that it doesn't like this deal, but it doesn't know what deal it does like. So even an option which is let's change the deal is problematic because we don't know how we might change it in a way that is acceptable to the UK even before we get to finding something that is acceptable to the UK and the EU. So the EU's uh, unwillingness to change that uh, withdrawal agreement, which it has made very, very clear and has repeatedly put in its uh, uh, extension terms and conditions, has been, uh, if you like, a distraction from the underlying problem, which is that the UK doesn't actually know what it is that uh, it thinks is a replacement for that. Uh, and so all the talk about uh, alternative arrangements, technological solutions, this, that and the other, none of those things which have been considered have met the threshold of the UK feeling that that is a consensus that they can support, which is a prerequisite for uh, the EU saying, well, OK, we think this is also viable. So the, in the case of technology, which is the one that's perhaps been the most visible, that that somehow obviates the need for a, a visible border, the, the EU has the position that, well, fine, if we can make it work, fine, we'll do that. But uh, at this stage, uh, and at this stage, we haven't actually got any evidence that it does work and will work. So we need to have something else just in case it doesn't. And in essence, that's what the backstop is. It's a just in case kind of uh, mechanism that we don't want to use but there we go. So we come back to the UK. What does the UK want? Well uh, we can think about some different options. The first option, the, the if you like the lightest touch option, is to go down some route of indicative voting that produces a majority. That rather than just simply taking the temperature of MPs preferences, what they think is and isn't uh, possible, uh, which is what's happened in the two rounds of indicative voting that we've had already before Easter, we instead start adding rounds or preferential things saying, okay, uh, we will knock out each time the things that are uh, least popular and then we'll see how you feel about what there is. So if you have to choose amongst these things uh, and these things being a reducing uh, number, uh, can we force you into a, a majority? Now, uh, you can do that, but there's a real lack of clarity about what the options might be. Uh, there is uh, a real lack of clarity about uh, what the process should look like. And in terms of something that is stable uh, and persistent, you have a real problem in creating a system uh, that looks fair uh, and that is practical. And of course, there's no guarantee that a system of indicative voting is one that is going to produce viable negotiating outcomes if it comes to renegotiation. Uh, 
and uh, really uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, address the matter. So we might think about that and we may well see that in the coming weeks, but at the moment it's not actually a uh, solution for uh, what is uh, to be decided. And just to take the obvious example, uh, during the indicative voting we've had before, we've had uh, a mixture of outcome elements, so you know, having a common market 2.0 or about customs unions or about this or about that kind of Brexit. But we also had a process issue, which is we need to have another referendum, uh, a confirmatory public vote, to uh, allow us to affirm and embed this in the process. So the process here gets confused with uh, the outcome uh, and you need to think a bit about how these two things fit together. So if we can't sort this out by an indicative vote, or not easily, what else can we do? Well, the obvious things are we change the balance of political forces in the UK. And the two ways that we do that are firstly a general election uh, and or a referendum. So let's look at those two. Um, let's take a general election first, because uh, why not? We haven't talked about a general election for a while on this podcast. Um, if we did uh, a general election, then potentially what we do is we create uh, a redistribution of parties within Parliament. The different parties will have different numbers of MPs. Uh, you create maybe a new government, maybe a new government coalition, Something like that. You give people the opportunity to say what they think. We get people to, to vote for things. And Bob's your uncle. We've got the mandate of a new election and uh, a new government. And that will get us on our way. Well, uh, let's think a bit about what that looks like. Um, at the moment, polls are uh, very uh, unclear. If you look at sort of general polling, uh, the Tories and the Labour uh, parties both seem to be doing all right. Uh, this is a bit confused by the local elections, the European elections, where you've got the Brexit party coming up. But let's assume that we end up with something like most elections of recent years. Namely, the Tories or Labour end up doing better than uh, the others and having close to a majority or a majority. Now, both those parties have deep divisions. Certainly the Tories we know are very divided, which is why we're in the situation at the moment. And we know that Labour also has very profound problems, not just on the question of whether to have a referendum, but also on just what kind of Brexit there should be. So the two parties that are likely to be either in government or in the heart or in the dominant party in a, uh, a government coalition have the problems that we face now. And if we think about the potential coalition party, parties that are there uh, on an issue as central as this, how willing are the Labour and Tory parties to be to have uh, Brexit policy shaped uh, and moulded by uh, a junior coalition party? Now, that is a real problem. Because what it suggests is that, yes, a general election is route one to shifting the weight of political factors, but uh, more than likely the outcome will be a reproduction of the current situation. Not least because uh, a general election happening right now is going to involve 
current party leaders contesting those elections, which in the case of the Tories mean you're probably going to have to take Theresa May because you won't have time to replace her and get somebody else in uh, in office to uh, run the show. Now, uh, Theresa May is clearly part of the problem at the moment rather than part of the solution, um, but replacing her is very problematic and uh, not done easily. Uh, that's even before we get to the potential campaigning effects, which is that she is not a good campaigner still. So general election looks problematic as uh, a way of uh, moving on from all of this. But so does a, a referendum. And if we look at a referendum, uh, we can see again all of the problems, all the problems that we've mentioned just now, but the problems that have been there with the second referendum uh, since this idea first came up uh, very shortly after the last referendum. So we have issues of process, we have issues of outcome. In process terms, you've got uh, an issue of who's going to vote through uh, a referendum in Parliament, the necessary legislation. Uh, we've got a process issue of who's going to campaign for what in a referendum, because we don't know what the question will be, what are the choices on the ballot paper, uh, how much can parties hold themselves together, how much do parties want to hold themselves together in all of this. And uh, clearly we are going to find that there's going to be an awful lot of uh, confusion about what different parties uh, want and need from this uh, process uh, as it goes along. And just to take the two key figures in party politics, neither Theresa May nor uh, Jeremy Corbyn is in a comfortable position when it comes to campaigning in a second referendum. What do they campaign for? How can they know that that option is going to be available? What happens if their preferred option isn't available? Uh, and how do they relate to the rest of their parties? So here we have uh, issues of uh, process that are highly problematic, which then leads to the outcome issue, which is uh, linked to this question of what is on the ballot in a second referendum. Is it a choice between leaving with a deal, leaving without a deal? Are we adding in an option to not leave at all? Are we uh, doing something else? Uh, are we giving the public some kind of indicative voting, since uh, MP seems to love doing that so often? Uh, do we give them a choice? But in terms of creating a stable outcome, uh, we can see the issues that we are likely to find that any result is likely to be relatively uh, thin on its margin. Uh, particularly if we end up with something that is a choice amongst more than two options, uh, even with a kind of repartition of uh, votes, a preferential system, to create a, a majority, you are still going to end up with something that looks like a, a country that is divided, because the country is oddly divided on this. Add in a whole stack of resentment about having to vote again, the legitimacy of the exercise, the huge potential that the results, even if it does have a majority, might be on a much lower turnout. So in absolute terms, a smaller number of people is uh, overturning a decision of a larger number of people uh, between the two votes. All of those things are there and are not in any way controllable by politicians or the public. That... Uh, 
the forces of political debate that uh, slosh around at the moment are going to create some very odd incentives. And certainly, you know, if you think about the boycotting narrative that there has been in relation to the European elections, uh, those uh, are going to be magnified all the more in a second referendum. So, the EU can't solve this problem for the UK. Parliament doesn't have a way of uh, easily addressing it. The public doesn't have a way of easily addressing it. Which means that what we're likely to see is a persistence of this blockage. And that really only leaves kind of two observations that I think uh, are worth making at this point. The first is, blockage doesn't mean that nothing can ever be decided. What it means is that anything that's decided is likely to be on a very fine margin, a very narrow uh, oof, uh, balance of uh, political forces at any particular point in time. And so it's not likely to be stable. And if I were feeling ambitious, this would be uh, the argument of a book, uh, that actually the UK has never had a deep consensus about what its European policy should be, so it ends up making contingent decisions that work for the time being, but which set up another round of issues uh, time and time again. The other observation is that even though we can't see a blockage being unblocked right now, it doesn't mean that it can't be unblocked. At some point in the medium term, things will change. That at some point somebody will become uh, strong enough to uh, impose uh, a, situ a resolution and a meaning to what goes on and will make a decision. Now, um, ideally that person would be basing it on a strong groundswell of bottom-up political activity because that would be the more durable kind of thing. But uh, if not, then it's going to be uh, someone uh, coming in a top-down way and saying, well, this is what we are doing. Now, all of that really points to the dangers that there are in this system, that blockage uh, creates uh, disillusionment, disengagement, uh, and drives up demand for alternative solutions. People who speak up against the system, who break politics as normal, who are not part of the elite, who are different, and uh, with great respect to colleagues who work in this field, we're talking about populist politicians uh, coming through and owning a new narrative uh, around this and potentially being in a position to impose their will in the absence of any uh, kind of uh, determined resistance. And we think about a future general election, there is a possibility that someone might be able to form a, a durable new part, uh, political party that uh, upsets the current duopoly uh, between Labour and Conservatives. Now all of this is in the future, all of this is uh, speculative, but I think it's really important to bear in mind that the blockage that we have is one that is something that is likely to continue to be a problem, it's something that is likely to create issues uh, more and more, and ones which uh, politicians uh, and 
political activists of all stripes might bear thinking about as they try to work out what they do in the coming months. If there's anything that's certain, it's that uh, most people are really quite tired of Brexit. This is not an issue that seems to be going anywhere. That as much as there are lots of activists on both sides, there is also a degree of stalemate. And so people who come in from new uh, perspectives, who come in with new ideas, have more and more possibility of reshaping that debate. So we should keep that in mind as uh, we watch the UK try to uh, move forward. And it's something that we'll come back to again in coming episodes. But until then, uh, I hope you have had a good Easter break because you've got a really quite problematic summer ahead of you. <laughs>